Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. June 1st through November 30th is hurricane season. It's a time when many people, especially those who live along the coastlines, are watching for what's going on in the Atlantic Ocean. Following a record-setting 2020 Atlantic hurricane season and a quick start to the 2021 season, many are wondering what may lie ahead. Today, we're talking with the director of the National Hurricane Center, Ken Graham. We'll discuss some of the recent storms from last season and the 2020 season, 2021 season, excuse me, so far. Changes to certain storm products and messaging to the general public. Let's get started. Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, you know, as we were just saying before we came on the air, this is really long overdue. We've we've wanted to talk to you for so long, but we've you know tried to be respectful of your time. Even as we're taping this here in um, in August, we are dealing with Tropical Storm Fred, and so let's you know by the time people listen to this, they you know we probably won't be dealing with Fred anymore, but we might be dealing with something else. Talk to us about what you and your office are doing here in sort of second, third-ish week of August. This is kind of the ramp-up month for Atlantic hurricane season. So what are you up to in your office and what what keeps you up? Yeah, it really is getting everybody ready for the the peak of the season. We're actually still doing, we have a lot of outreach that goes on um, before the season, but we have a second wave of outreach that actually takes place to get everybody ready for the peak. So we've, we've been doing some, some training sessions with states. We've been doing training sessions with agencies, uh, letting them know the peak of the season's coming up. We, we need to get ready. And, and for us, Marshall, it's not just the U.S. We, we're, you know, the World Meteorological Organization, we're, we're a member of the 28 member, uh, 28 countries. Uh, that we work with. So we're actually doing some of that outreach with some of these other countries as well to get them ready for the peak of the season. Yeah. And it's speaking as a WMO, the World Meteorological Organization, there was a big change this year uh, in terms of the naming. No, no more Greek Greek letters, I understand. Tell us about that. Yeah, the 2020 season, it's not too often we have to use the Greek alphabet in these seasons. And if we're using the Greek alphabet, that means something's not good. That means we have way too many storms. And it happened in 2005 and again in 2020. And, you know, it was interesting to to witness some of the names actually distracted from the actual messaging. There was Eta, Zeta, Theta. There were there was these the names that sounded so similar. And with, with the 28 countries that we work with and we're partners with, we have Spanish, Portuguese, French, and English. And some of those names were very difficult to translate in these other languages or even had alternate meanings. Um, and you'll like this one from a messaging standpoint. Uh, the, the phone went crazy when we had Zeta. There were so many people that thought that was the last mm-hmm name in the Greek alphabet, which it is right. not. And it, so the, the calls weren't on what the impacts are. It was more on what the names were. So it, it was a distraction. So I worked with our uh, the member countries and we had sponsorships. We worked with Canada, Cuba, Mexico and others. We, we wrote the proposal 
and uh, use an alternate name list instead of the Greek alphabet. That way, they're, they're more recognizable names and we won't distract from the actual messaging. So we have an alternate name list. I really hope we don't ever have to use it, uh, but we're ready to go just in case. And yeah, I was one of the people out there in social media and I wrote a couple of articles in Forbes really advocating for such a change as well. So I'm, I'm glad to see it happen because I, I thought there was message confusion. They were the, the major press was focused more on the Greek name. This is the second time we've used it. I mean, instead of the impacts and messaging, which is what we're, we're all about in terms of what we would. Let me give the listeners before we do this deep dive with Ken Graham, let me just give you a little bit of his background. He's the director of the uh, NOAA's National Hurricane Center in Miami. Uh, he received his bachelor's degree in atmospheric sciences from the University of Arizona and has a master's degree uh, from Mississippi state. He was a broadcast meteorologist with the CBS affiliate in Mississippi for many years. So that's why he's so good at the messaging part of the job, because being director of the National Hurricane Center is not just about being an expert in, in tropical meteorology, which Ken certainly is, but it's about messaging. And so I was thrilled when I saw that Ken was becoming the director of the National Hurricane Center. Uh, he began his career at NOAA as an intern forecaster at the National Weather Service in New Orleans, and he ultimately became the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service Forecast Office in Corpus Christi and in Birmingham, Alabama. And so Ken is very well regarded within the meteorological emergency management communities and the scientific communities. Uh, he was honored in 2014 with the Louisiana Governor's Emergency Service Award, and he was a chair of the World Meteorological Organization uh, Committee, I believe, of some type. But I, I neglected to ask you this question that we ask all of our Weather Geeks guests. It's the big one. How'd you become a Weather Geek? <laughs> It was, I was young. I my my mom told me these stories. I had a, a calendar on my my wall in my bedroom. Um, this is six seven years old, and every single day I took an observation outside, and and I wrote it on that calendar. Um, high temperature, low temperature, uh, cloudy, rain today, uh, whatever the observation was. So I I was just fascinated by the weather, and I always say my favorite planet is the Earth, and that that's still. Uh, <laughs> That still holds today. I just been fascinated with with the environment and 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 the power of nature and and all those things and being evacuated as a kid, even even growing up in in Arizona, being evacuated because of flooding and it was it was a post it was a tropical event that came up through Mexico and Baja and provided flooding uh, even in Arizona. And I, and I looked back at why we were evacuated and had an old set of encyclopedias in my room that I got from my great grandpa and and. It was tropical. So it was, there was a fascination with the environment, the earth, tropical weather. And it, it's from a very young age, just fascinated by the weather. And, you know, that it still holds today. I, 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 a thunderstorm will come through back behind me. I'll, I'll lose track of my call, hopefully turn the camera off, and I'll still watch the thunderstorm even today. It, it's still fascinating to me. I'm in awe um, with, with the power of, of nature. Yeah, I, I'm actually the same way. And I think a lot of us that are weather geeks are, and I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast are as well. Now, you've had a, a range of careers in meteorology, from the broadcast meteorology to the National Weather Service to now the director of the National Hurricane Center, which I think many people would see as a pinnacle type career within the field of meteorology. Um what over the span of those careers or different careers, what have you observed as changes in weather forecasting technology or messaging? What are some big things that you've just seen evolve through the course of those in terms of how we message extreme events, weather events, particularly hurricanes? You know, it's it's you see so much change. I mean, 27 years now in the weather service, I don't 
I don't even know where that went, but I, I look back at you know the technology, and I remember the first day we got the internet. I, I remember um, all these things that that came into play, and I I just I guess coming from a broadcast background, I I just absolutely been um so focused, and I have a passion for communicating that science in a way that's actionable and and understood. And it's it's that sounds easy, but it actually is is not easy. How you message to um, a county or a parish may be different than the interview we're doing today or an interview in the heat of the battle that we may be doing with a, a landfall in five hours and how how we communicate that message or briefing a governor or the president. Um, every every one of those situations, a different different way to, to talk. And I think I've, I've seen through the years, I mean, the science has changed, the, uh, the models have got so much better. We've, we've cut our errors in half on on hurricane track in the last couple of decades, it's staggering. Uh, we still have work to do with the intensity. Even we look at systems now, the intensity still gives us uh, fits at times. It's still some science that we still have to learn, but how how we communicate, I, I think is better than ever. I, I really do. I, I, I see us at the hurricane center and the weather forecast offices closer with the media than I think I've ever seen in my career. We're all in this together. And the social science always points to if we all have a similar message, people actually um, can understand it and make better decisions. So I, I see that better than ever. And that's not just there. It's with the emergency managers. It's Marshall, there's phone calls in the middle of hurricanes. It's it's a county or a parish. What's the latest? Hey, are you a lot of it's not even a briefing. It's checking on each other. Mm -hmm. So what what are the one of the biggest things I've changed? There's a relationship that's developed with all of us. There's a trust that's developed with all of us. None, none of us ever perfect. Right. Forecasts aren't always perfect and communication isn't always perfect. But one thing that I, I, I've seen through my career is I, I think we're all in this together. And I think the relationships are stronger than ever. That, that's my opinion. Does social media make your job harder? In other words, all of the misinformation and models being posted 24 days. I mean, you just, you know, the stuff I'm talking about. I mean, what, which, I mean, I think it's a net good, but what's your, what's your take on the Twitter sphere and, and what I often call the social media rologist? I, I, I think it points to, we have to be as aggressive as possible to make sure we get the right information out there. And I, I think, I think if you notice the amount of uh, uh, Facebook information that, that, that we put out or uh, Twitter, we're very aggressive with it because we want people to get the correct information. And I got so many examples. I've seen, you know, uh, a 14-day 14 14 model track that was sent out and it was impacting New Orleans. And 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 I have emergency managers were calling, what about this? What do we need to know about this? I'm like, don't, don't worry about it. It never, it never formed. And and, and we tracked down that that social media information. It was a it was it was a, a very young person on the West Coast um, just sharing model information. So in our training, we really try to, you know, get out there that get get that source. You all, us, get get that official source. NOAA, the Weather Service, the media across the country, emergency management. That's why I go back to these relationships and all of us being together. Because if you want to come, you know, you know, if you want to uh, play defense against all that misinformation, then w us with the information, we got to be together and, and have a strong offense, so to speak. So I, I think that's how we do it. But there's so much information out there. And it, and it, here's here's one thing that I think the listeners that it's important. We, we don't just look at one deterministic model. I mean, you it, you know, if, if you look at one model and this goes back to Hurricane Laura, when the, the European model started uh, having some tracks towards Houston 
And, but we're looking at an ensemble of models. We're looking at 50, 60 different ones. We're blending those together. We're dialing up some, turning down some, and we're, we're very open with our statistics. You, you've seen it. If we, if we do a good job, that information's there. If we don't do so a good job, that information's still there. We're very open with our verification scores. We beat the, any deterministic model. We beat, we, our official forecast beats them every single time. And, and I think having that science and, and showing that verification and the proof on why you, everyone should get that official um, information is important. It's not just accuracy, by the way, it's, it's consistency. Because if, if you're on the ground, tough decisions, evacuating a hospital or a prison or you know, assisted living, these are very, very tough decisions. And if we don't have to evac evacuate people, you know, have that information of emergency manager does, they're the ones that make the big decisions. We don't want that to happen. Um, so that's why we, you know, we really talk about get that official forecast because otherwise you, you, you jump all over the place. And, and if it's not consistent, can you imagine trying to make decisions when things are bouncing all over the place? So we will always be pretty conservative with that forecast for that, that reason. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Ken Graham, the director of the National Hurricane Center. Uh, well-respected expert, uh, has a long career in this field. And you were just talking about, you mentioned Laura and some, I wanted to kind of reflect back on the 2020 season, things that come to mind for me, you've already mentioned one, getting well into the Greek alphabet. Uh, other things that came to mind for me are just how many storms we had in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, you know, how many storms or some, some of those storms rapidly intensified. And then we had, I believe it was Sally, which wasn't a particularly long storm, but it kind of lingered. Um, what are your sort of reflections on the 2020 hurricane season? And what are some takeaways that we can pass on to the 21 season and beyond from that season about lessons learned? Yeah, some things stand out definitely about the 2020 season. One, I mean, 30 named storms. I mean, the word relentless always comes to mind. It just, you know, they weren't always, it wasn't, you didn't see some of the the, the super uh, storms as many like we had 2005, but we did. Hurricane Laura was incredibly powerful, the most powerful one uh, to hit Louisiana. But some of the standout things, you, know, you look back, I, I think of comparing Laura and, and uh, Sally, you know, and I, I think about, you know, one of the training items for the emergency managers, we talk about hurricanes really don't care about your timelines. I mean, some storms, you know, it's nice to have an exercise. It feels good to accomplish that exercise. And we got good plans out there, right? But there's there's times you may have 10 days notice. There's other times I think of, uh, you know, Hurricane Florence, for example, you see it come all the way across the Atlantic, plenty of time. <clears throat> but then you look at Michael, you know, think about three days to four days notice on a category five hurricane. And you know, looking at history, there's only been four Category 5s to hit the continental United States in, in history. Every one of them was, was a tropical storm just three days prior. Hurricanes don't care about our timeline. So that's one thing that struck me with 2020. The other is 
they're all so different. You look at our consistency and accuracy with Laura, but we struggle with Sally. And whenever you have a system that's so slow and the hurricane hunters are in there, that's all coordinated out of here as well. The hurricane hunters, we, we plot the flights and work with them and communicate the different routes. If you have a center jump 10 miles, that could be a 30 or 40 mile jump and where it makes landfall. And, and I think that's tough to communicate that, yes, we're getting better, but some of them are still quite quite a struggle. And, and the, the other things, Dr. Shepard, that, that I look back, words matter. And I, and I look back at Hurricane Laura and having information that not everybody was out of some of those coastal Louisiana areas when we're forecasting 15 to 20 feet of storm surge. And I, I remember the morning uh, here, we were thinking about words, and the word unsurvivable uh, came to mind. That That is, oh, there it is, goosebumps. Um, yeah, that, that created words. a lot of, um, that was a very provocative statement, but was it calculated? Yeah, because not everybody was out of there, and you can't survive 15 to 20 feet of storm surge. Um, and, and in the end, they got out. They got out, and we didn't lose a single person in Hurricane Laura from storm surge. But what struck me as well is, we lost many more people because of carbon monoxide after the storm than we actually did associated with the storm surge. So this this whole um, after the storm, it's you, you may get through it. But it's no fun afterwards. It's no fun. It's the power issues and it's so dangerous. So trying to communicate all the dangers after the storm uh, is another thing that we just got to continue to do in social media. Remind people proper use of of anything from generators to watch out for power lines or even using this is a little little strong, but it's true. I mean, after a storm is not the time to be looking at the instruction manual and how to use a chainsaw. And, and yeah, that's strong. I get it. But those are real things that we see after a storm. And we have to talk. We have to have these tough conversations to, to save lives after the storm as well. So those are some things that stand out, I guess, for me to 2020. But um, not just the United States, but big impacts um, in Central America, um, just staggering impacts. And I can tell you, comparing Mitch where we lost so many people in Central America. Back to your communications uh, question, Dr. Shepard, we, we communicate, we have video calls, we communicate those impacts better than ever. And a lot of lives were saved in Central America from the 2020 season as well. So this decision supports not just working in the United States, but it's working internationally as well. Now, one thing that I know that your forecasters and scientists there at the Hurricane Center do, and shout out to some of them, like Jack Bevan, one of my uh, colleagues and classmates from Florida State University, and hello to Dennis Felton, who I, I sure assume is lurking around somewhere, at least involved in this, getting this interview shut up by my fellow Florida State Seminoles. But the question I wanted to ask, because I know Jack does these, I mean, you go back, your forecasters go back and do reanalysis or kind of go back and reassess some of these storms post. Uh, why is that important? Scientific integrity. It's it's if you look at the foundation of this place, it's it's science, and it's it's a lot of things happen in, in this world, and you know we stick to the science, and you know it's it's before, during, and after. So we reanalyze things. Remember, remember uh, Hurricane Michael. We we thought it was a Cat Four at landfall. We re looked at it, looked at the data, aircraft data, radar data. They. Let me tell you the back and forths between all the specialists and 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 our, I hate to use the word arguing it's so strong but <laughs> there's a lot of scientific discussion that goes sure. on in this building and to come up with these conclusions and and in the end it's a category 5 so we're not we, we'd rather have the truth out there than than really um, you know, whatever our forecast was is whatever our forecast was it was the best we could do with the with the information we had at the time but in the end 
that analysis keeps the scientific integrity of that whole database. And I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of things. You've mentioned messaging several times, Ken, because I think it's a a significant part of your role as the director of the National Hurricane Center. And I'm talking with Ken Graham, by the way, National Hurricane Center director. A couple of things out there. uh, The cone of uncertainty. Do people I think I get a sense that people some people still struggle with what it means. And then another thing that has come up recently is the Saffir Simpson scale It's a wind scale, but we know that water is really the sort of most fatal aspect of a hurricane. So first, do you think, is there, I mean, I, I don't, I, this is just sort of almost a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer myself, but it, is there something better than that we can do than the hurricane cone and the Saffir Simpson scale or what, what are your general thoughts on both of those? Yeah, you'll, you'll like this. We, we have nine social science projects going on at the same time right now. We're collecting so much data we, we recognize there probably is, you know, we, how many times do we uh, go on air and say, well, here, here's your cone. This is where the center could be two thirds of the time based on our average error the last five years. I mean, we, we've really tried to communicate what the cone is and what the cone isn't. The, the issue is there's a lot of impact outside the cone. And, and how do you communicate that? We, we try, right? We, we try in our products, we, we get on air and we try to explain that, but is there a better way to do it? So I think there's universal agreement that there's probably is a, a better way that we can do it, but where it becomes very difficult is what it is. All of a sudden, exactly. everybody's got the idea and, and then you try to put it in place and it's much more complicated uh, than anybody realizes. Do you, do, you, do you add some, you know, is it a dynamic cone? Maybe it's a cone of impacts, but then it, then you're talking it's huge. How do you yeah. how do you how do you put Ohio in there when you know that the flooding is going to be, you know, uh, 500 600 miles away from the coast? All of a sudden, it becomes much more much more difficult to figure out what what that looks like. So we have the social science projects coming in. I hope there's some ideas there. We are toying with the idea of a dynamic cone. The the other part, Dr. Shepard, you didn't ask, but it's related is what do we do with the seven-day forecast? Yes. We're, we're doing yes. it internally, but what, what do you do with a, a cone? <clears throat> excuse me. What do you do with a cone that's 800 miles wide? How do you, how do you make any any decision based on that, you know, outside of, well, I better keep an eye on this. So we, we want to do a seven-day forecast, but should it be in the cone? Should we do it a different way? We actually don't have the answers to that, but we're, we're help, hoping social science helps with that. Um, with the, the category, it's interesting because you, you look at a Hurricane Florence when when you're you're decreasing in category and there's a tendency to relax when the impacts never changed. The storm surge forecast never changed. Uh, the rainfall forecast never changed. None of that changed. But the category served a good in Hurricane Michael where we were coming up the categories and people are like, whoa, this is the wrong direction. I better pay attention. So it, it becomes really, really complicated. And and with storm surge, it's the, it's the size and the speed. It's not even the category that, that's the main factor in the storm surge. And I, there's so many examples of this. Uh, you can have a, a category four or five storm small, but it's fast. That'll produce less storm surge than a giant category one um, that's moving slow. You get more storm surge pilot in a bigger area. So it's incredibly complicated. What we've done so far is we've just tried to separate those impacts. We have a storm surge watch and warning. We, we focus so much on storm surge. Half the fatalities historically have been storm surge. I think we're making a dent, by the way. You have the uh, new storm know, surge I, products, right? I think we're making a dent. I You know, you look back, I have a little stat here that I think you'll find interesting. 
since 2017, I'm reading it because I don't want to mess it up. 14 hurricane landfalls, six were major. This is the United States. Been busy. It's been crazy busy since 2017. Uh, we've had a lot of fatalities, but in, in the end, um, very few were storm surge. And, and if you think about it, and, and there have been more with carbon monoxide poisoning than actually storm surge. I think we're making a dent, but we don't want it. We, it's still the biggest threat, but I think we're making a dent in that. So are there better ways? We're working on it. And we're open. I read your articles. I, I listen to all the input. I see it out there. There's plenty of input on this. But when you when you have to make it happen, it's more complicated. And remember, it's not just the United States. In any decision we make, Spanish, English, French, Portuguese, different cultures, all these countries, I've got to work within that construct to make sure we communicate the, and, it, and it's viable in all these countries as well. So yes, working on it, but the solution's actually more complicated than you'd think. Yep. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back on the Weather Geeks podcast with the director of the National Hurricane Center, Ken Graham. Uh, I wanted to quickly ask you, I'm, I'm thinking about there's some people that are saying, oh, I'm not taking the COVID-19 vaccine until it gets final approval, still in experimental phase. Are the storm surge products that you're putting out, and they're amazing, we've talked to Jamie Rohn about them, are they still considered experimental? And if so, why? Or, or have they transitioned now to just finalized products? Yeah, those, those are transitioned. I, I think we have we have one graphic you've probably seen. It was it's the one that outlines uh, just the, the the coastline with the the amounts of storm surge we get along the coastline. That one's experimental, um, but for most of the others, no, it's it's transitioned to real life, and it's there's still debate on uh, you know the whole datum topic, uh, you know sea level uh, versus you know mean uh, high high water, low low water. Um, so we've really tried to make it easy when we show those values. It's water up your pant leg. It literally is uh, above ground. And there's still some education that, that we're doing on, on some of that and making sure people understand that uh, they'll be lower when you go inland because the elevation comes up. Um, so there's still some education there. But no, it, I think they're making a difference. I mean, if you look at the data, uh, we're communicating storm surge better than ever. I, I, I think we're making a difference there. What we we got to continue to do is communicate the threat from inland flooding. And I, you know, you go back to Hurricane Camille. Um, I was just talking to some folks in in Virginia, and and you know, you look at Hurricane Camille, Category Five hitting Mississippi uh, over in Biloxi, but more people died inland from uh, inland rainfall than they did from that 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 coast uh, along the coast. So that's staggering. So how do we communicate? the threat three, 400 miles inland that, that you could get all that rain. And by the way, in Florence, we lost more people to that inland rain than we did storm surge. Half of those were in automobiles. So we still have work to do um, to talk about the dangers, especially at night. You'll, you'll see, you focus on it, we all focus on it. You, you just gotta keep the cars out of the water. I mean, just the dangers of water still, still remains. 
Yeah, I agree. And I, with that, I want to transition to the 2021 hurricane season because we know or we've projected it to be another active season. NOAA forecasters and others have and we got off to a quick start. I mean, we had Elsa, for example, and it impacted many states. It was just tropical storm. I think it did have a point where it was a hurricane as well, but I think it may, had most of its impacts uh, here in the con- CONUS as a tropical storm. Um, what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know there were some people that we had this little lull here in July and August. And, oh, there's forecasts are overblown. But keep in mind, even as we're taping this, we have Tropical Storm Fred, and that's pretty early or relatively early for the sixth storm on record. So what are your initial impressions and thoughts on 2021 so far? Yeah, this is this is pretty typical to get that you know, a, a start, you get some storms, even sometimes before the season, that's a whole separate topic. Um, but, you know, end, end of May into June, you get some storms and, and it's not, you go back in history, July is typically a little slower. Um, you know, you, you start off a little, little strong and then, then you get slower in July and then you really uh, crank things up in, in earnest when you get into August, you know, through early October. So I think we're seeing what would be typical and I think we're just coming off such a hyperactive season. It just felt weird not to have so many storms in July uh, because it's been so busy for so many years. So we're, we're, the, the big message is here, we're coming into the peak. And, and I think, you know, we, we start getting through August and getting to September, we, we have the peak yet to come uh, for the hurricane season for, you know, 21. So that's why preparedness is everything and getting ready for it. And you, you mentioned Elsa, an interesting point. There was a lot of social media about hurricane versus a, a tropical storm. And, you know, we had some radar data and the aircraft found those winds. It didn't last long. And there was so much discussion on it. And I, I hope everybody can help us spread the word on this. The difference between a tropical storm and a hurricane is one mile an hour. Um, and again, we're staying true to the science, but at the same time, it's interesting how the word hurricane uh, really prompts so much attention versus tropical storm. There is no such thing as just a tropical storm. And and you and I talked about the World Meteorological Organization. I have a lot to do with, as chair of that committee, um, you know, th- there'll never be a name Justa. We'll never have a hurricane Justa. We'll never have <laughs> tropical storm Justa. Uh, I'll make sure of that. But the, the point is, it's about the impacts. And it's so important. Hurricane, tropical storm, a trop Allison. I mean, I think of, I, I look at history, a tropical storm uh, produces 10 foot of storm surge and, you know, 15, 20 inches of rain. I don't, I don't care what the name is. That's a big impact. And, and you got to be ready for that. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because right. I mean, strong tropical storm, weak cat one, the impact the same. And so I mean, that was definitely a message I was trying to sort of amplify on your behalf as well, because I just see so many people get riled up. Well, is it a hurricane or is it trying? It doesn't, the impacts really what matter at the end of the day. One, one thing that comes to mind about 2020 and 2021, and particularly as we're seeing spikes is the hurricane tropical storm risk superimposed on a pandemic. Uh, are there are there things that you, as the National Hurricane Center director, are thinking about in concert with the director of FEMA and our emergency management uh, folks, uh, even, even as we see Fred approaching perhaps Florida, uh, depending on what happens as it moves over Hispaniola? Um, I have to imagine that there is some thinking going on about COVID and evacuation and shelters and so forth. How are you dealing with that? I think the the pandemics made the pressure on us to 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 to, to get, have a good forecast has, has never been higher, Be, and and the reason I say that is the fact that you know if you're in that evacuation zones with storm surge, you got to get out right. There, there's just no pandemic or not. 
if you have a big storm surge headed your way, you get, you got to get out. Now the planning and where you go may change and, you know, the, the sheltering part of it that emergency managers deal with, but the, the pressure comes here. If you don't have to have to evacuate, we want to make sure we're accurate enough that the decision could be made not to evacuate. And, and that was in the, in the case of, of Hurricane Laura, when some of the modeling was well to the West and we were, you know, we didn't want, we didn't think it would ever get over to a situation where Houston would have to go because you're dealing with a pandemic and if they don't have to, it's okay. We don't want them to. So luckily we, we the science is better that we could really narrow that down uh, better than ever. So yes, the exercises have, have taken into account um, uh, the pandemic. We've changed things here too, Dr. Shepard. We, everything you saw last year with the, the masks, um, lots of opinions on that, by the way. Um, so, I mean, we, we, we're a small place. We have 11 hurricane specialists. Uh, we have the tropical analysis forecast branch and the people that have visited this building, it's not big. So we, we, we had, we had cohort scheduling where pairs of two worked together and they didn't see the other two the whole season. Um, some of the shift changes occurred from in the building and out in the parking lot behind me. Uh, we did everything to keep ourselves safe because, the, you know, the nation's counting on us the, to keep them safe. So we took that very serious um, here. We actually have tape that still remains on the floor uh, that when there's somebody on duty at the desk, no one's allowed to step inside that tape. Um, so it's interesting how it changed how we do business, um, emergency managers, and it is part of the decision-making process uh, with, with the pandemic and safety. So I think we feel the pressure more than ever, and we're, we're up to it. We really are. We're up to it um, to make sure we get a good forecast out there so we can help the, the big decision-making. Yeah, last question, and it's really contemporary because we just had the latest IPCC report come out, and of course it says some things about extreme events, particularly hurricanes, tropical cyclones. Um, does this factor in in any way? I mean, you are a weather agency for the most part. And, you know, I, I know for a fact, but I'm on Twitter, that sometimes people struggle with the difference between weather and climate because you'll see people say, hey, it's cold today. That means climate change isn't real, right? No, that's weather and climate. But uh, do, you, do you see a report like the IPCC and does it have implications for how you think about things at the Hurricane Center? Yeah, I think, I think you know, yeah, we're, we're definitely more, short fuse generally than that um, here at the Hurricane Center. But no, you, you look at the data. I mean, all you do is uh, take a query on the database, right? And look at look at trends. And, you know, there's there's been this discussion about, you know, the number of hurricanes. Well, tough correlation there, right? We, we, we're seeing more than ever. We, we're, we're, also, we're also going after some of those sloppier, peskier storms that form right off the coast. And, and so the actual number is hard to correlate um, to anything because we're actually seeing more. So that's not the that's not the conversation. It really isn't. But the the trend that is the conversation. A couple things. One, uh, warmer atmosphere, more rain. You know, we're we're seeing some pretty big rain events uh, from these these tropical systems, not just on the coast but well inland. And it's just physics. A warmer atmosphere is going to hold more water. You're going to get more rain. Clausius uh, it, yeah, it is. And and the other trend that's interesting, and I know you've seen it. There there is a trend. Over the last century, we're getting some stronger storms. And, and you know, you look at the number of Cat 4s and Cat 5s that we have, um, there's an increasing number of some of these stronger storms. And I think that's something to consider into the future as well. You got more energy, you can get stronger storms. And the, the rapid intensification, Dr. Shepard, we had nine tropical uh, cyclones in 2020 have rapid intensification, nine. 
Um, and that's when we're talking, you know, you're talking 30 knots of wind increase in 24 hours. It That thing's cranking fast and it's hard to keep up with that. So, um, and then we'll see what sea level rise and, and it's not a direct correlation, sea level rise and storm surge. It, it's highly variable. Some places get the same, some places get more, um, but I do see a trend that could push that storm surge further inland. So that's, that's the long-term, uh, when you look at, you know, hurricanes, you look at where we're headed and what we're going to be dealing with. Those are the, some of the things that, that keep in, in our minds. And yeah, we, we do get ready for that. And that's why we apply some more research to that rapid intensification. Yeah. And I know for us here in Georgia, you know, with Hurricane Michael, we had a storm that was gusting 100 mile per hour winds well into our agricultural regions in the southwest part of the state. They certainly weren't used to that. So it perked some people up in terms of, wait, wait a minute, what's going on? Final thoughts. Can, can, thank you so much, first of all, for joining us on Weather Geeks. Um, you know, I just want to emphasize that these are the go-to folks. I mean, I write stuff about hurricanes. There's all kinds of information out there, our media folks. But at the end of the day, this is the source. This is the trusted source for information on hurricanes in the United States. And so, Ken, I just want to thank you for what you and all of your colleagues at the Hurricane Center and National Weather Service and NOAA are doing on our behalf. Yeah, thank you for that. And I Dr. Shepard, thank, thanks for the, you know, it's the, the partnership, the friendship, and it, I hope all the viewers know, we, all of us behind the scenes, we're in this together, and th our conversations, whatever do, we, we need to do this several times a year, and just, just talk, just have real talk about anything hurricane, but uh, I appreciate it, and I can tell you the Hurricane Center's ready, this, this staff, it's so humbling to work here. It's like when you when you work somewhere that's your lifelong dream, you're just humbled to work with Jack. You're humbled to work with uh, all the specialists. They're just an incredible group. We're here 24 hours a day keeping an eye on things, and we, we really strive to never let anybody down. So thanks for those words. Well, I really appreciate it. We have to go, but before we do, it's that time of the podcast where we feature our Geek of the Week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Nadia Blomendahl. She loves all types of weather, but hurricanes are her favorite. Nadia is a postdoctoral researcher on tropical cyclone risk. You can follow her on Twitter at B-L-O-E-M-E-N-D-A-A-L underscore capital N. If you know someone that should be a deserving candidate for our Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, let's, we, I'd love to do this. Let's make this a recurring thing yearly here, annually or so on Weather Geeks. You always have a home here on the Weather Geeks for the Weather Channel. So thank you again for coming. Yep. Thank you very much. And to you that listen, be safe out there this hurricane season, particularly if you're in coastal regions. Uh, pay attention to what the Hurricane Center is putting out there. And remember, impacts. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. Yeah.